Good morning, church. Just wanted to say my name is Dean Barham. I'm the lead minister here, which means in part that you'll hear from me more than you probably want to. But we also are incredibly blessed in this church to have tremendous leaders, speakers, and gifted folks. You're going to be hearing from Brian the next couple of weeks. But I did want to take a moment just to welcome all of our new and returning AFC students, parents, and loved ones that are here. And I did want to say one thing as part of this welcome. You're going to hear this probably every year, but I especially want to direct this to these folks. On this day, the equivalent of this day many years ago now, when I was a freshman, I showed up the first week at church. And the only reason I did is because my mom was sitting next to me, just being honest. Had no intention of coming back, and I didn't for a little while. But what made a tremendous difference in my life is that when God did what God always does and he calls us home, I had a place to go. And part of the reason for that is there was a leader in our campus ministry like this man right here who welcomed me back the moment my heart was ready to come. And there was a group of students who welcomed me back the moment my heart was ready to come. And I just say this at the beginning of every year for a couple of reasons. First of all, I pray you don't have to learn like I did to not buy the lie of the enemy that it's better to run away from God and that God's holding out and freedom means doing what I want to do. But here's what I really want you to hear. Even if you do, the second lie I believe is worse than the first, which is when I run away from God, then the enemy says you cannot come back. So I want you to hear it from me at the beginning of the year. I don't care if the next time I see you is next week or next year or your senior year. Hear me. If you come back, the only thing you will hear from me, from people like this and others in this ministry, is welcome home. Please hear that. Lastly, I want to pray a prayer. (coughs) I want to pray a prayer of this man. What am I great? Great uh, joys in ministry and life right now is not next, not just to serve with this guy, but to do life with him. And what I love about Brian, you're, you're going to see how incredibly gifted he is. What I love about you, my brother, is you know and love these folks. And that means the world to me. I'm here because of people like you. So I want to pray a quick blessing and I'm going to shut up and let you preach, okay? <laughs> Father God, I love this man already. I love his heart for your people. I love Hayden who who walks with him to love and serve our students. And Father, I love a church that loves our students. So I pray that you say what our words cannot. Welcome home. This is a spiritual home. Empower my brother as he opens the word to us. In the name of Jesus, amen. So uh, Christmas has a musical hold on the most wonderful time of the year, but this is the most wonderful time of the year. Um, I saw some parents this morning uh, dropping off their kid for the first time. Um, I remember that. I remember that. And it was sad. It was sad. And I've seen some kids for the first time here come in. There were some last night, some this morning. I want you, if you're a parent, And I want you, if you're a student, to hear this. These people, this congregation, has a long and storied life and career of loving your kids well. And we'll love them. And I testify to it. There you go. No one even playing. We love them. 
I'm so glad you're here. Love this time of the year. <sighs> Students, one of the questions I had, I can remember my first year, um, and I come on campus and my biggest, one of my biggest fears was I didn't want to sit in the dorm room alone on a Friday or Saturday night. So I was wondering, who's going who's gonna to be my friend? Will I find friends? Will they like me? Who are those people going to be? And we worked hard to make sure that this week we give you plenty of opportunities to meet and connect with new people. Josh referred to it. I'm going to refer to it. And we do literally have something every night starting last night. These little cards out there will give you the all info, but we've got it in here too so you can ask us. Plenty of places, plenty of times to come and find and meet people. We want to allay your fears. These people, the older ones, they've done it. They've walked the road. They know where you can walk on the grass and where you can't. They know the restaurants. They know the, the, the big deals, five for five or four for ten or whatever they are all around town. They know how to get here. They know the best place to go. Then what movie is the best way to go. They know the places in downtown Bryan that serve the best deals. They know it. We've gone the road. We're here. We've done it. We'll help you. We're all in for you. Parents, we'll do our best. We'll love them. Students, we're pumped. This church's lifeblood, in my opinion, is the students. The students. There, I, I, just wonder, I wonder where the voice was coming from. I got you now. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know about you, but not too many years ago, uh, Leslie and I and my sister and her husband, Gary, had the task of going through my parents' house. We were moving my parents to a new place so they could be closer to my sister. Now, my parents weren't hoarders, but they were collectors. And so we got in that house, and we were dug, digging through every drawer. And you know how all the things fall behind the drawers? We were looking at the top of the closets. We were looking under the beds, places that hadn't been disturbed for 20 years, digging through things, looking. I think we were maybe thinking somewhere, and all of this stuff in the attic and all the outbuildings, which they had two of for more stuff, we would find some treasure now, my mom loved flea markets and garage sales. She also loved First Monday Trade Days, Trades Days, whatever it's called, at Canton, where everybody makes everything out of wood. So there's a bunch of wood, wood hearts, wood bears, wood things. And my dad collected paper, notes. Now, some of you, some of you may not remember, but I'm old enough to remember. You remember each month... You got an envelope from the bank. And in the bank was your statement, bank statement, with every check you had written that month. Yeah, remember? They all came. My dad had checks from the 80s to places that don't even exist anymore. Rubber tubs full of them. But he also just kept all kinds of notes. If any of us had ever written anything on a note... He kept it. There were a lot of yellow post-it notes. 
And on it, it simply said, my mother's name was Janice. It would say, gone to the store, be back soon, Jay. He kept it. Kept all of them. She would put her there on the, on the kitchen, so as he walked in from the garage, through the utility room, into the kitchen on the counter, he could see, okay, well, there, there, there's, there's where she is. I'm okay. She's safe. All those notes. So we didn't really find a treasure. There was no baseball card. My parents, my dad didn't care about sports, so there was no valuable baseball card. There was no piece of glass that now is worth something. Or presidential memorabilia. My dad loves president election stuff, so we didn't find a pen you know, from years ago that was worth any money. We found the written things, and among the written things were cards, letters, written from other people and between my parents in their dating years and my parents in their married years, and cards that they had received from me and my sister or other people, or letters from people in their past, just full of great words. I want to show you a couple. This is one from my dad to us. This was written, yeah, never mind, in sort of faded paper. You're precious to us. You and Krista are our greatest blessing. Krista is my sister on this Christmas day, as you are on every day. Always remember your commitment to God, and he will bless you. God bless you. Mom, Krista, and I love you very much. Another one. Mom and I love you and Leslie and Caleb and Aaron and Jeb very much. You are all so precious to us. God bless you always. We will love you forever. Sincerely, Dad. Maybe you have notes like that. I don't know. Doesn't it seem like, maybe because it's been the onset of cell phones, but we don't write like that anymore. I don't even know if their Hallmark store is still in existence. I don't know the last time I went to buy a card to give it to someone on an anniversary. or how They did it on anniversaries, Valentine's, holidays, July 4th. Every day, their cards. Big cards. You open up and things pop out and all kinds of things. And there's these sweet words inside. Somewhere, it seems like, and maybe it's because of the texting and the phones that we just see and connect so many different ways now, we've lost that language. Seems like now we've got to check rein on our, on our emotions. It's harder to say those good words. They're too lovey-dovey. Or whatever we say. We've lost those words. It seems like. Well, why are you here? I, mean, I know it's an easy question. And there's multiple answers. I'm just wondering, though, why... Why are we all in here? I mean, I can worship alone. But we all are in here together. Why do you think that is? When we have a visitor, 
or sometimes when I'm thinking about new students and they're coming in here and they're leaving, what is it that I want? I want them to have courage to come back next week and to keep coming. That's why we're here. We could do it alone. I can sing without you. I can read without you. I can listen to sermons from all over, from everyone. All kinds of people. So why is it that God has us here? What is this? He didn't have to do this. Did he? It's because you will get courage to keep going. He knew it. We needed the language. Why do you love the foyer? Because it's where you get courage. You get connected. You hear good words. You get filled. God knew it. You needed to be here. Aren't we starved for good words? For kind, good, encouraging words? We've lost the language. We're worried if someone's going to think we're just flattering them. Or we have some ulterior motive. We need to bring back the words. How great would it be? Terry, you know I saw God in you. This is how I saw God in you. When you see somebody who's patient, when it's hard to be patient, say it. When someone's great at serving, say it. When someone who you sometimes are glad that you don't have the life that they have, but they keep showing up here anyway, and you're thinking, how do they do it? Say it. You get strength from it. Don't you? Why is it when we need it so much that we deny it from others? We're starved for it. I know all about the love languages. But it's true. Our love language is words of affirmation. For all of us. And God knew it. How do people get encouraged, by the way? If true, it was standing up here and I just walked by him. Was he supposed to get some... Like disease of love because I'm within six feet because I just walked past him? No, it happens because of your words. You have to say something. People love it. The passage this morning was from Acts chapter 11. I'm going to read it again. I think the screen had it. It is from the message. I like it because it gives a little bit more to the narrative. I'm going to read it again to you. And you can read along. Those who had been scattered by the persecution triggered by Stephen's death traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, but they were still only speaking and dealing with their fellow Jews. Then some of the men 
from Cyprus and Cyrene who had come to Antioch started talking, Antioch, talking to Greeks, giving the message of the master Jesus. God was pleased what they were doing and put his stamp of approval on it. Quite a number of the Greeks believed and turned to the master. When the church in Jerusalem got wind of this, they sent Barnabas to Antioch to check on things. And as he arrived, he saw that God was behind and in it all. He threw himself in with them, got behind him, urging him to stay with it the rest of their lives. He was a good man that way. Enthusiastic and confident in the Holy Spirit's ways. The community grew large and strong in the master. Then Barnabas went on to uh, Tarsus to look for Saul. He found him and brought him back to Antioch. And they were there a whole year meeting with the church and teaching a lot of people. It was in Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. What do you think Barnabas was good at? He told people. He encouraged them, stick with it the rest of your life. They knew it. A new church. Who are we going to send? We're going to send Barnabas. And Barnabas was a master at it. This isn't the only example. Back in Acts chapter 9, we have this passage. When he, when he saw, came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples. But they were all afraid of him, not believing that he was really a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told him how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. So Saul, uh, and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with him, moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. Think about how did that go down? Saul wanted to be included. He couldn't make it. So what happens? Barnabas goes, grabs him, and says, come with me. And then Peter and James and John and Andrew and Matthew all went, okay. He must be legit. Barnabas did that for Saul. And then Acts chapter 13, in verse 13, you have this passage. From, okay, this is the first missionary journey. I don't think they sit around and go, hey let's, just, hey, let's call this thing the first missionary journey. I think that we just did that. So the first missionary journey, they're going, and they says, from Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. Now, why did John do that? Maybe he was scared. Maybe he didn't agree. Maybe just weak. But Barnabas, when it came time to go again, says, hey, that's what the second passage says. I'm just going to tell you what it says. He says, let's take John Mark again. Now, Paul saw something, Saul saw something in John Mark that was off-putting. He wasn't going to mess with him. I'd bring in him. He abandoned us. But John Mark said, no. And they had a stern Discussion. So the word there means that they were loud. So after church, Josh and Cameron head out there and they're in the foyer and they're screaming. They're mad. They get your attention. You know something's going on. Steve Crouch is running around there, running around out there going, fight, fight, fight. They don't hit each other, but they're mad. 
You notice it. Everybody's talking. You all go to Rose's where it seems like everybody goes and talk about, hey, did you see what happened today? I mean, they were mad. Barnabas insists, and God brought good at it. Barnabas and John Mark one way, went one way, Paul and Silas went the other, and God's word spread. But there was a problem. I wonder what Barnabas and John Mark's conversation was later. He goes, hey, we're headed down here, over here to Cyprus. And he goes, oh, I thought we were going with Paul. Yeah, I know, Paul doesn't care for you very much. He's sort of ticked off. And Paul and Barnabas had a history. They were buddies. Remember who went to get him? In Acts 9, and said, come on with me, I'll include you. So they knew each other. They were friends. They had traveled together. But Barnabas saw something, right? So much so. And you know, don't you, how it ends. Paul's in prison, 2 Timothy, and he's in a dungeon prison. He's not under house arrest. He's at the near end of his life, and he probably knows it. His last book, the last chapter of his last book. And he's talking, and he says, this is part of it, but he says, I need four things. He's talking to Timothy. I need my coat. I left it. I need the scrolls and the parchments. And I need John Mark. How did he get from being a quitter to someone Paul championed when he wrote to the church in Colossae? How did he get from Mr. Abandonment to being needed? What do you think happened in between those times? He didn't just, by osmosis, get it. And God and the Holy Spirit can work. And they don't need you to do their work. But they chose to use you. Somewhere, some great words were spoken. Don't you think? He heard from Barnabas and maybe others, you've got it in you. You can do this. Keep going. Don't worry about all that that happened back there. Come on. Such good words. I love those words. I'm over here now. Even if you're an upperclassman or you're, and it applies over here to, or you're brand new, Satan hisses his rot all of the time. You're not good enough. No one's going to like you. It's going to be too hard. This is a hard school. I'm going to fail. What are my parents going to say? I can't manage money. How am I supposed to do this? No one's going to like me. I will be by myself. Just whatever doubts. He's the accuser. He's just hissing and sniping and sending his poison all over the place. You know how you get past that? 
You do it because others help you do it. They speak great words. You can do it. I did it. Anybody can do it. We've done it. It'll be okay. Come on along. All of that. That's what happens. That's why we're here. That's why he wants us together. And we're not writing the letters anymore. But students, you can say it, text it, tweet it, snap it, all the other things you do. To give the good words. We're starved for it. We need it so badly. Picture. It's two guys you probably don't know. You might know after I get started with it. One of them is David Brown. And another one is Jerome Avery. David, at 15 months, was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease. Far be it for me to explain all that, what that means, but my understanding is it's rare, an inflammation of your blood vessels. Anyway, at three months due to surgery, he lost his left eye. <clears throat> Six years old, he became blind in his right eye. So a loving mother was looking for solutions, looking for specialists to find the way. Maybe there was a way. And his right eye, the vision didn't diminish immediately. It was slow. By the way, by the time he was 13, it was completely gone. But he had moved, and he was athletic. And in St. Louis, where they had moved, they had a program, a place for athletes who are visually impaired. And he started participating. And it involved him running the same distances you're familiar with, 100 meters, and he would hold on with his left hand to a guide wire and run. And he loved it. It was almost his mother thought, contributed to his survival. It gave him something to do. And he was good. He was fast on that guide wire. He became super interested and stoked about the Paralympics. And he gets connected with Jerome Avery, who was a guide. For blind runners. Now, I don't know if you've tried, I actually tried this. <laughs> Down the hall was pretty wide. I didn't run. But I thought, I'm just gonna walk as far as I can, just with my eyes closed. I'm about 10, 15 feet. I think I'm gonna bust my chin on that kiosk out there or something. I'm, having, I'm going to open my eyes. It's pretty scary. Try it, see how far you can walk. He's running. And they're good. They compete in the Paralympics and they win the gold medal. 
Show the track picture, please. This is their hands. They, they're tied together by just a string. And they run. David said the most difficult thing for him to learn to do differently was he had been used to just running with one hand, one arm, because his left hand's always holding on to the guide wire. People have compared it to a little bit of like a, a funny three-legged race. They're good. He's the fastest blind person to ever read the run the 100 meters at 10.92. Now, that's pretty fast. The fastest runner that can see Usain Bolt is 9.58. So he's pretty fast. He's a T11 classified athlete, which means he's the most visually impaired. They wear masks when they run because different people have different levels or abilities in sight even though they're impaired. So they all wear these masks to make it all even. And he doesn't need a mask. I want to read you something that Jerome Avery said, because it applies this morning. Remember, he's the guide. And he said this. Not only, oh, I got to say this. You know this encouragement thing, the word? We sort of know what it, but it can be, we know super well the phrase, speaking the truth in love. Question, why does that always have to be correction? You can speak the truth in love and it be affirmation, comfort, counsel, cheering. Jerome says, not only am I watching, because this is application, not only am I watching to make sure he doesn't go outside the lines, but I'm also like a sports psychologist. I have to figure out how to calm him down. That can be words of encouragement too. Anybody anxious? Need calming down? This video was posted, and I read a quote that the person who posted it wrote. This is what they wrote. This is life. Find people to run beside and encourage. Keep them on track. Help them see what they can't see themselves. I love that. I want you to see the video. It's short. I want you to see if you can see what Jerome Avery is saying while they're running. Rest assured, if you can't figure it out, I'm going to tell you. <laughs> see if you can figure it out.
I love that. Do you see what he's saying? Go, David. Go, David, go. That's what he's saying. I love it. That's what we're doing. And don't we need it? Do it. Quit keeping back all of the love that people need to hear. It's hard enough. And sometimes it's true, isn't it? We're the blind person and sometimes we're the guide. There's, there's a place for everybody. There's a part for everybody to play. Let's do it. Y'all do it. Y'all do it. We need it. Go, David. Go. That's why we're here. So we don't have to be here to sing. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. Pray with me, please. So, Father, we, th- we thank you for uh, you asking us to be together. May we use our words to bring strength to people's souls, heart-affirming and encouraging words. Make us do it better. Make us do it better. In Jesus we pray, amen. Ooh, one last note. When, um, what if we all did that? What would it be like? Sometimes you may ask, some people come in here and we don't see them again, and some people we know, we just go, where'd they go? Let's don't be okay with that. How much better would it be? How many people would stay on the path if we used our words in that way? I think a lot would. I think a lot would. Thank you.